This is the Andrew Lake Podcast, and today we're talking about business management, an introduction and an overview. I sincerely hope you enjoy. Most of our conversations are about philosophical concepts or psychological maps or conceptual and experiential doorways, pathways. So it might seem a little bit left of center to be starting to talk about business. But one component of psychology, an important component, is cognition and intelligence. And we've spoken at length about both these things so far. And business is the perfect example, the perfect analogy, and the perfect structure for cognition and intelligence. Business holds an entirely clear picture of how the mind works, how concept works, how intelligence works. So business is another doorway into greater understanding. All paths lead up the same mountain, and I'm trying to demonstrate, by talking about business, how that works. Anything that can help you sharpen your intellect, or cognition, or expand your metaphorical thinking, is helpful. This is not just for metaphors, but also for real-world tangible stuff in and of itself, so... Every device is useful unto itself, and it is also a springboard that will put you into other uses. So anything that can expand your understanding is helpful. So today we're talking about business. If you are not familiar with the world of business, this is going to be a great episode for you to have an overview and an insight into it. If you are familiar with the world of business... A lot of these terms will probably be already familiar to you, so you'll be able to follow along quite easily, because we're starting at the very beginning. But it might be good to brush up on your basics and have a clear picture of your fundamentals in mind, even if you are already in the world of business. When you go into the world of business, it's like anything. There's lots to learn that's overwhelming at times, there's people who are more advanced than others, there are traps for young players, there are textbook examples, there are textbook stories, there's a whole array of terms that are for the business world and only found in the business world. And the more you swim around in that world, the more you learn about it, the more you hear about it. There's all sorts of stories, all sorts of characters that come up. And the majority of what I'm sharing with you today, I learned from my mentor, Luke Grady, who is an entrepreneur, a franchisee, and multi-business owner. I've been involved with many businesses over the years, and everything that I'm sharing is just street knowledge. It's just things that I've come up with from my own experiences by learning from the experienced businessmen and people like Luke Grady and others. So let's get into the chunk of it. Let's get into the meat of this conversation. Business is profit. It's that simple. 
You do an action and you make money. This is your fundamental guiding true north principle. This is your arrow. It's your grand arrow. And it may seem to be very simple and obvious and basic, but when things get off track, when things go wrong, when things get out of place, you want to return to this true north. Whenever you can't make a decision correctly, whenever you don't know what to do, whenever you don't know what needs work, what needs attention, what needs fixing, what needs improving, you can ask yourself, what is the grand arrow of direction? And in the world of business, it's profit. Now, if that doesn't sit well with you, and that seems a little bit too unpoetic or touchy-feely, well, that's your psychology. That's your close-mindedness. And this conversation is about business. So let's just embrace this fundamental true north principle, which is that business is about profit. If you don't make profit, you don't have a business. It's that simple. So we've got three ways to divide this grand arrow of profit. And we call these lines. So we've got the top line. We've got the bottom line. And we've got the front line. Your top line is how much product or service you sell. How much dollars comes in the door. How much money lands in the bank account. How much cash happens because of the business. The bottom line is the profit. So when you've taken away all your expenses, what's left over, and you've paid all your bills, what's left over is your profit. It's your bottom line. So the top line is how much money goes in the door. And then you have money going out the door to pay your bills. And then what's left over is the bottom line. So the bottom line is the bottom line. You've heard that saying before. The bottom line is profit. The bottom line is our grand arrow. But the way we step into our profit is by understanding the top line. And then we have the front line. So the front line, if you're familiar with your world history, which I know you are, you've got this term, the front line, which comes from World War II or World War, any, any war, you have what's called the front line, which is the contact one team makes, one country makes with the other. One army makes contact with the other. So it's the foot soldier on the very front of their territory shooting at the enemy as a foot soldier. So it's confronting. It's the front line. It's not the back line where you've got guns shooting overhead. It's not the Navy, where you're sailing around the oceans. It's not the Air Force, where you're flying over the front line. It's the foot soldiers. So the front line is the actual contact that happens between the product or service and the sales coming in the door. Now, the analogy of war in business, <laughs> it's a good one. It's a little bit brutal at times. Business can be like a war. The analogy does apply in certain businesses, in certain markets, in certain economic climates. So we don't want to blow out analogies out of whack and over, overdo it because war is a thing unto itself. War is a brutality of the human condition unto itself. 
But if we can sort of downplay the analogy of war or the picture of actual war, we can say, metaphorically speaking, that business is war. And that is to say that it's not always war. It is There are peace times, but the analogy of the front line in war is where we get this term for the front line in business. And the front line is where the action happens. The front line is what decides the fate of both your top line and your bottom line. So we've got this triangulation between top line, bottom line, and front line. So you've got to know these three terms. The bottom line is the bottom line. The top line is how much sales goes into your bank account, how many products or services you sell. And the front line is the contact, the actual doing, the where the transaction makes place, where the selling takes place, where the customer parts with their money and picks up the product in their hot little hand. Now you see, we've got another big division here, which is product and service. So this is one of our fundamental divisions that we can make in the world of business. Your product is an actual item. It's a thing, it's an object, such as a t-shirt, a pizza, a bicycle, a tangible real thing in the real empirical world that you give to someone. It's your world of retail. The entire retail sector is product-based. And then you have the other big side, which is service. So service is I do something for you. I change something for you. This would be like your plumber or your electrician or your beauty salon or anything like that where there is a before and there is an after, which doesn't necessarily involve a item. It's more of a doing. Your hairdresser, they've cut your hair. They haven't given you something. They've done a service. There are a lot of businesses, business models, industries, which blur the line between product and service. A lot of the food industry is predicated on having both product and service. If we deliver a pizza to you, we are doing a service and giving you a product. And if we are interacting with you by making your pizza for you, then we are giving good service, friendly service, speedy service as well as a hot product, a fresh product, a tasty product. So you can see within these two bands of product and service, we can start to divide them down and we can say, what is good service? What is bad service? So service, you've got speed, you've got convenience, you've got how accessible it is, how easy it is to order and go through the process how simple it is to understand, and product, you've got the longevity of it, the utility of it, the effectiveness of it, the excitement of it, the packaging of it. There is a whole sector of business which is setting up the packaging of items. And some businesses are even entirely based on their packaging. They just take a product and frame it in a certain way, which brings more value to it. Now, is that real value? Is that something you really need? If you're buying a cucumber and it's wrapped in plastic, is that really adding any value to the taste of your cucumber? I don't know. We can get very cynical about some businesses. 
about some products, about some services. But this is not a rant against capitalism. This is not a fight against the free market. This is understanding it from the inside and keeping an open mind to know the mechanics about it. We can have a conversation about the free market and capitalism another day and ask philosophical questions about whether it's good or not. Today, we're just talking about the mechanics of business so that we can understand it from the inside. So we've got our top line, our bottom line, our front line, our product, and our service. We've also got marketing, pricing, and exposure. So marketing is how many people know about your product. You might have a very good ability to service a very high quality product, but no one will understand that unless there's some exposure. So marketing is putting your name into the minds of people, your product or service by way of brand, into the minds of people to know that it's a possibility for them to have and they can try it and say, well, that's good. I'm going to keep doing that. So marketing is one of the most fundamental pillars of business. You can have an absolutely outstanding business, but if no one knows about it, there's no way that it's going to float. So branding is the doorway into marketing because you put a name on something so that people can infer things that are greater and beyond the name. So when a brand name comes to mind, you think of a range of products, qualities, services, experiences, tastes, so on, all the rest. But we can't sit down and explain a product every time for every advertisement. So we summarize our products and say, this is our brand. This is a metaphysical trick where we take a collection of characteristics of a product or service and we say, this is the name of that collective of product and service. So branding is essential for marketing. Marketing is really centered around getting the brand into the minds of the people who would consume the product or service. And that's exposure. Now, you also have pricing, which is another major component of your marketing. And the price is decided upon the market climate or the economic climate. And it's up to business owners to understand how the climate of the economics is working in order to create a profit edge. And your pricing feeds into your top line and your bottom line because you need to be able to produce the product or service and cover your costs and have bottom line left over. And there's also going to be competitors that are coming into the same market with a similar product and a similar service, and they're going to try and undercut you. So there is a market share for every product or service. So if you want to do market research, you would try and find out how many people want to find this product. How many people want to buy this product? And then you can have on the other end, the scale of saturated market or gold rush market. So the way markets expand and contract is that people find new nuances, new things that are cheap to make 
and then start selling them, and then other people see the opportunity and spring up with similar sorts of businesses until there's an oversaturation of people in the market selling that, and that was that is what will drive your price down. So you can get into what's called price wars, where your competitor is lowering their price to sell more, so they get more and more top line, but of course that eats into their bottom line because they've got their costs. So you can see all these things, all these aspects of business are springing together and influencing each other and bouncing off each other. We've got our top line and our bottom line and our service and our product, which is decided upon by the front line. And all this is contingent on the marketing and the branding and the pricing. If you provide a quality product or service, you can increase your price, which will then increase your profit. So there are all different ways that you can get into the details of improving a business. Now, another major pillar of business is operations. So this is breaking down your front line into different sections and different components to see what needs to happen, what needs to be done, where things need to be improved. So for a product, there is an assembly line which occurs, which needs to have each step of the assembly line working at its optimal in order to produce the product. And the same thing goes for service. Now for a sole trader business model, which is the person who owns the business is doing the product and the service, the operations are very closely monitored by the owner. And they're quite small, quite simple, and you understand it yourself. When you get into big business, there's a whole complex system of different steps in the chain of command and in the procedures. So the bigger the business, the more complex it is. But your operations is how do you produce the product or service? So you might need machinery. You might need to buy things from a supplier. So you are buying product and assembling the product. You need to buy raw materials or raw food if you're selling pizzas. You might need to have other staff. You might need to have a premise. You might need to have procedures and smaller checklists and steps and processes that happen to create the product. So you're breaking it down into smaller bite-sized details and you also have to consider your volume. The amount of product you sell will change the way in which you make that amount of product. Some businesses have a minimum amount of product they have to sell in order for it to work. Operations is a huge side of business and there's always going to be a national or head operations manager for any major business and his job is the front line his job is making sure that the front line goes from having nothing from making nothing into making the product and a good operations manager will look at weak points in that assembly line first of all they'll investigate where production is completely breaking down and 
parts of the business businesses are failing to produce the product, that would be a critical moment or a critical crisis in that it is not creating the product or service. But if things are up and running and they are producing a product or service, they will look into the quality of the product and also the efficiency. So you might have a business which is making great product and service, but it's costing too much. It's taking too much time. It's taking too much raw material. It's breaking machines too often, or it's not just generally being efficient enough. So your operations manager will say, why are we using this machine when we can use another? This brand of machine is always breaking down and it's costing us more to get it fixed over the long term than it is to just get it from another brand or a better machine. Or they might say this machine is a more expensive machine, but it's producing a better quality of product so then we can charge more. So that way we can improve our top line and our bottom line, but our costs are higher. So the world of operations is quite large and there's all different ways that an operations manager can drill into different points in the assembly line. And this brings me on to another major component of business, which is people. So any business beyond a sole trader or single unit owner operator is going to involve a team of people. They're going to involve more than one people. The vast majority of businesses involve more than one people. That means that the ideas and the processes and the procedures need to be shared in the minds of multiple people. And there needs to be hiring, there needs to be training, there needs to be safety precautions, there needs to be a whole bunch of financial implications for paying their wages. And just the people side of business is a whole nother massive section. And that doesn't even cover how do you maximize the efficiency of your people? How do you train people who are better at the job than others? How do you set up an environment which rewards the better managers or the better workers? And that would be what we call meritocracy. You would want to have a meritocracy hierarchy within your business for it to be producing better managers and better people. Now, how you go about managing people, training people, motivating people is probably a conversation we have to have another day because that's a different kettle of fish to business management. Today, I just want to talk about business management, but that would be people management or business people management if we talk about people as a resource, as a thing in and a part of our business. And now I'd like to go into the intellect of the businessman. This is the data analysis of business. So we've got our top line and we've got our bottom line. And what we're going to do is divide those into smaller bits. Now, a successful businessman or an intelligent businessman will divide those things into as many different points as he can. He will step into 
the detail of the business, the data, and the analysis. And not only that, but he will know how this division between the top line and the bottom line relates to the front line. He will be triangulating these three points by dividing, by analyzing, by quantifying, by putting a number two, by strategizing these three points. So there's a lot of different ways we can enter into this. Let's start with the analysis side, which would be the data side. And that would be dividing your costs. So from your top line, you have a few broad categories of costs. You've got fixed costs, you've got controllable costs, and you've got variable costs. So your fixed cost is going to be the same every time, no matter how many pizzas you sell. No matter how many customers come in through the door, you are going to have to pay that amount. So a good example of this would be your rent. Rent is $1,200 a week, no matter what. If you sell one pizza, you're still going to have to pay $1,200 in rent. If you sell 8,000 pizzas, you're still going to have to pay $1,200 in rent. And there's a whole bunch of little costs like that which go on your profit and loss statement, which is the document that we use to track all our divisions between the top line and the bottom line. And they are costs which stay fixed. That's why we call them fixed costs. So with your fixed costs, you want to have as high a top line as possible. You want your top figure, your sales, to be as high as possible because the higher they go, the lower your fixed costs are as a percentage unto your business. So next we can move into controllables. So these would be costs which have a degree of change depending on how your operations run how efficient your operations run, how your front line runs. So if you're selling pizzas, you might spill some cheese on the floor, you might spill some sauce, and that would be a variable cost which you can control because you can employ staff, train staff, improve the business so that we don't spill so much sauce and flour and capsicum on the floor. Please don't spill the capsicum because I like to eat capsicum. It's tasty. So that would be an example of a variable cost. And there's a whole array of these. Your labor cost is a variable cost. You can improve the training of your staff in order to have less hours on your roster. And you can drill into all sorts of nuances within your roster in order to not waste the hours of the day where people are standing in the business getting paid but not producing anything. So labor and wages are just one component of a variable cost. Your food in your pizza store is another example of your variable cost. And even within those two large things, those two broad categories, we can divide that again down into how many hours you're using. What is your average crew rate? What is the efficiency of the staff member? What is the training of the staff member? Are they being used in the right place at the right time of week? 
And the same for food. We can say there's spillage in when it's being prepared. We're having spillage when it's being cooked, when it's being made, when it's being rotated. We might be ordering too much or not enough, or we might be making it wrong, or we might be doing portion sizes too wrong. So you can see that every step down, we get into more and more detail and we get a smaller and smaller division of our top line. So you might be looking at your business and saying, this is how much capsicum cost. This is where we spilt capsicum. And this is the variance of capsicum in relation to our top line. Now, we might only be putting capsicum on every 20th pizza. It might be a very small amount. And we might have only spilt a few grams of capsicum as we were preparing it. But that's a very small detailed line which affects our division between the top line and the bottom line. And a, a successful businessman will be looking at all of these divisions. He'll be dividing as many as he can into as much detail as he can and understanding where they all are. So that's variable costs. Sorry, that's controllable costs. Next, we get to variable costs. So your variable cost, you can't control, but changes as your top line changes. So this would be a bill that you pay, which is a percentage of your top line. So for example, you might have a franchise agreement or you might have a tax bill, which says that whenever you have a top line figure, you will pay 2% or 10% or 11% of what that is. So in Australia, we have the goods and services tax, which means that you pay something like 10 or 11% of your top line figure, no matter what that is. So your sales will be going up and then your GST, your goods and services tax will be going up. And you can't change that. You can't control it. So that's a variable cost. So you've got your fixed cost, which stays there. You've got your controllable cost, which you can control depending on how well you run your operations and your front line. And then you've got your variable cost, which changes as your top line changes. So another major dimension that we can put into our business analysis and business management is the dimension of time and scale. So there are extremes that we can do to do this. And if we imagine our camera, which is zooming in and out into detail and out of detail. So the zoom we were looking at just a moment ago was the zoom of capsicum in relation to the top line. So you've got your top sales, which is all the money that comes in through the door. And then you've got your costs, which can be divided down into little details of the business. We can do the same with time. So we can say that we've got a 12 month top dollar value, top figure, top line value figure, and a bottom line figure. And that's what 12 months looks like. So we say in 12 months, we've had all these sales come through the door. And in 12 months, we have made exactly this much profit. Now we can then divide this into months 
and say in this month, we had this sales and this bottom line. And then we can even go down to weeks and advanced business owners, the intelligent business owners, will be dividing this down into days. So each day you have a set of sales, a sales figure, and even a profit figure. Now, depending on what the number is, what the data line is, what the figure is, you will need to divide it appropriately across the correct amount of time. So it would be probably inefficient to divide the cost of capsicum over an entire year, but it might be worth doing it over an entire week and looking at that per week. Now, other costs, you want to be tracking either once a day or even twice a day. So some things we can get into very close detail by putting a number on it to understand exactly how active it is. A lot of business owners wouldn't track their profit as in a bottom line per day. They would track their profit by month or quarter or year, but they would count and track their controllables on a daily basis or even twice a day. So your variables are pretty stock standard and your fixed costs are also pretty stock standard. I don't think there are many fixed costs that are charged by a daily basis in a lot of Australian businesses. I'd probably have to look into that a bit more, but I'd say a lot of fixed costs are either weekly or monthly. Things like rent or cleaning gear or anything like that. So depending on where you're zooming in, you want to have a time dimension. You can track it by the day, by the week, by the month, or by the year. And it will be different for all sorts of aspects of the business. And it's important to keep the top line for the whole year in mind. And it's also important to drill into the detail, the daily of the costs line. So you wouldn't hear a businessman get to the end of the year and say, what an amazing year it's been. We only spilt $25 worth of capsicum on the floor. No, he wouldn't do that. Because of course he'd be saying, wow, we got to the end of the year and we did so many million dollars worth of sales and made so many whatever thousands of dollars in profit. But in the middle of the year, when he's halfway through his week, he is going to be looking at how much capsicum got spilt. He's going to understand the detail between the macro and the micro. Now, there is an interesting paradox that comes up here or an interesting conundrum that comes up here with the pizza man because the pizza man knows that $25 worth of capsicum on one day is in relation to the bottom line figure over a whole year. So it is possible to say, it doesn't matter if we spill a few dollars worth of capsicum because you're making thousands of dollars a year, tens of thousands of dollars a year. A successful businessman might be making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And with that in mind, you might say, well, a few dollars worth of capsicum doesn't matter. But it does because the successful businessman knows that 
the details feed into the bigger picture. And if you say, oh, it's okay to spill just a bit of capsicum, then you're spilling just a little bit of sauce. Then you're a little bit clumsy with your staffing. Then you're a little bit clumsy with your hiring. Then you're a little bit clumsy with your controllables and then your fixed costs and then your variable costs and your finances. And you just let things slip until all of a sudden you're not paying attention to anything and you've snowballed to this point where you're actually losing money and you don't find out until the end of the year. And you get this shock that, well, actually we do need to watch the capsicum because the business isn't making any money. So spilling a few dollars is quite serious. Any successful businessman understands this difference between the micro and the macro. They have an incredible ability to see the entire picture overall, and they can also drill into minute details, tiny details on a daily basis. There's a critical component to data and data analysis, which is succinctly different to data and data analysis. And that is verifying the correlation between data and the front line. So let's imagine a few businessmen and accountants and bookkeepers sitting around a table in an office at the end of the year, and they are looking at a slideshow or a spreadsheet on their projector, and this is full of all the financials. This is the numbers, the lines, the controllables, the variables, the top line, the bottom line, all the hundreds and hundreds of little details and divisions that are made through days, weeks, months, quarters, and for the whole year. It's literally just an entire mountain of numbers. They are swimming in numbers. This is the data. This is the data analysis. Now, what needs to happen for that data to be effective is it needs to correlate to the real world. So that means the data reporting needs to be accurate and the significance of the correlation between the data and the real world is stressed among those that are working on the front line. So verifying data is up to the managers. It's up to the reporting system. Now, modern businesses have very good correlations between their data and their real world because, for example, you might have an invoice of a raw material that you've used, which would be an exact dollar figure. So you can be extremely accurate with your data in some cases. In other cases, you might have someone counting the stock if you're selling t-shirts, at the end of the year, the manager has to count how many t-shirts are left over to do a stock take. And you see these big companies do stock take sales when they're doing their stock take. But there's going to be a human error there. So data is only as good as how it correlates to the real world. And then the other big component is how do you affect the data? For a lot of businesses, just putting a number on things brings a whole lot of awareness to what is happening in store. In fact, that is one of the most powerful ways to affect your controllable costs. 
It's to put a number to what is happening in store. And this is why businessmen drill into things twice a day and in lots of detail, because if something is happening on the production line, there's a change, there's a cost, there's a production, there's a efficiency that needs to be understood. They simply need to put a number to it. They simply need to turn it into data. Data is really the magic of business because you are bringing to an understanding a real-world situation. And if you can't put a number to it, you can't understand it in the world of business. Once you put a number to it, you might say, well, there's T-shirts going missing. You might be doing a stock take and you might be counting them more and more often, maybe once a week or even once a day if you think you've got a problem with t-shirts going missing. And then you can drill into it and say, well, why is it saying that we're doing this amount of sales and we should be selling this amount of t-shirts, but there's more t-shirts going missing? There's something going on there. And then you can drill into where the t-shirts are going. And there's a whole array of different explanations for why a t-shirt would go missing or what things could be going wrong. But just by putting the number on it, one can work out where to investigate and therefore understand how we can change that number. So there's a relationship between the real world and numbers which needs to be understood. It needs to be a real connection. It needs to be real accurate data. And there needs to be action. There needs to be physical world changes that occur in relation to the data. So our businessmen who are sitting around their mahogany table in the office building, looking at their spreadsheet, crunching the data, will then know what they need to take back to their managers to do in the real world. So selling a t-shirt has absolutely nothing to do with sitting in front of a spreadsheet that's full of numbers. Those two situations couldn't be further in difference than any other situation. And yet they're totally intimately connected. The businessman can see how they're connected. Something so simple as handing a t-shirt over the counter and having the customer pull out their card or cash and hand over the money over the counter is so intimately connected to the bottom line at the end of the year. So the successful businessman can see that correlation and he can affect his numbers by having trust that the data is real, verifying that the data is real, breaking into the details of what is affecting the data, what actions need to be taken, and therefore improve the business in a whole array of ideas and a whole, in a whole array of ways. The successful businessman isn't focused on just one thing. And in a sense, paradoxically, he is only focused on one thing, which is the bottom line. So he can divide this interest into many things, this point of direction, this true north, the bottom line, and he can work on all of them. So we see this paradox of complexity and simplicity coming together in the world of business. 
If a businessman was only concerned with his top line, then he'd be driving sales, driving sales, and his production would lose quality, and he might actually be losing money. I've seen businesses which have very strong top lines. They have very good sales, and yet they make no money. They get to the end of the year, sit down in their boardroom, and there's nothing left over. And it's quite possible to have a business which is much smaller in its top line, but it makes money. I mean, what would you rather, a business that makes money or a business that doesn't make money? It doesn't matter how high the sales are if you're making money versus not making money in the world of business. So that covers a lot. That's just an introduction to the world of business. All these leads, all these sections can be divided into even more sections and those sections can be divided again. We've got our top line, our bottom line, our front line, our controllable costs, our fixed costs, our variable costs. We've got service, we've got product, we've got marketing, pricing, branding, exposure. All these are massive, complicated things that have entire teams of people just working on one part of them, if it's a large business. We've also got operations, production, staffing, training. These are a whole web of interconnected sections of the machine of business. So digging into these details is an endless pit and a successful, intelligent businessman will be right in the thick of it. He will know, he or she will know all these terms. They'll know how to divide these terms. They'll know how to affect the concepts, the data, and they'll have a big picture view. You need to be able to see all of it at once. You need to zoom out and see your whole year and also have the ability to zoom in, find that little piece of capsicum, find that little thread on the t-shirt that's coming undone. These are a whole complicated mix of different ideas and concepts, and it's only the tip of the iceberg. The business world is huge. It's a massive world to dive into. Well, I guess any world is complicated. Maybe some worlds are bigger than others. That's a philosophical question that we can ask another day. But I thought I'd take us through some of these business principles because it's a perfect example of how intellect works. It's a perfect example of how rational understanding, empirical understanding works. And we can downplay or overplay or underplay or say any sort of thing we want about rationality. But at the end of the day, if you can strengthen a part of your understanding by metaphorical understanding or example understanding or even tangible real world understanding, then you're going to be better off. Ultimately, we just want understanding. We just want experience. And the business world is the way, one of the ways into that. So thanks very much for tuning in, guys. This is Business Management 101. You heard it on the Andrew Lake podcast. There's lots of information out there these days for your own further research. And we'll be back soon with more. Thanks very much. Have a nice day. See you soon. Have a beautiful day.
Godspeed.